Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. It's episode 292. And I've got a great panel. I'm sure some panelists might be joining us as the show wanders and progresses like a, a English river in the summertime. I don't know. But I'm going to introduce my great panel. Going to start with Sally. Would you, look, would you like to in, quickly introduce yourself, Sally? Certainly. My name is Sally Getch. I am the WP fangirl. I build custom Genesis sites for growing businesses and nonprofits with the idea of making them a pleasure for both you and your visitors to use. And I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. Oh, that sounds nice. A pleasure. I like that, sadly. Uh, um, Chris, uh, um, would you quickly like to introduce yourself? I'm the co-founder of a WordPress solution called Lifter LMS for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online course membership sites. And I also have a podcast for membership online course people called LMS Cast. You've got a very long list of new features you could be adding to Lifter LMS, aren't you? The sounds of it. Yeah. Jonathan <laughs> asked on our uh, uh, call yesterday and we, we did the, the roadmap. There's a lot of things coming. Only a few. All right. Um, John, would you quickly like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. My name is John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design. We do SEO for manufacturing and industrial companies. Right. On, on to the first story. Um, Google Analytics dashboard for WordPress, G-A-D-W-P. Oh, my God. Is now exact metrics. Who would like to start off with that one? Come on, panel, please. I can just say that uh, I, th- I think all these acquisitions are is just a sign of the uh, what is an immature market. The WordPress ecosystem is maturing, and you know as markets can uh, mature, there is consolidation, and uh, you know business players or people with with uh, you know kind of corporate style thinking look for synergy and efficiencies and advantages that they can. Position. So I think we're just going to see more and more of that happening in the WordPress ecosystem as the market matures. Yeah, that's great. Um, any other panel want to contribute anything to this? Uh, sure. I mean, it's you know, I was curious. I, I, hey, given the the path of acquisitions that that uh, they're on, I'm not that surprised uh, that if somebody did this, it, it would be them. Uh, I am kind of interested to see how they are going to um, combine this or, or pair this or integrate this with Monster Insights, uh, which is the Google Analytics plugin that they bought from Yoast not very long ago. Uh, and so, you know, they say, you know, you can continue to use the plugin you love without inter- interruptions. You know, in a future release, you'll see the icon change. Uh, we'll be adding new features and improvements. Um, dum, 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 dum. And so, it, it, you know, we'll kind of see what, what happens. It seems like, you know, nothing immediately uh, or, you know, nothing obvious immediately. But uh, you wonder a little bit. It's like, okay, well, we, we now have two. 
we, we now have two of these plugins. Are they eventually going to become one plugin? Um, but yeah, my immediate thought was, you know, thank God they've got a better name now because uh, GAWP, DWP was, was just awkward. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I just think um, it's just interesting. You know, I think it's not going to be that difficult to integrate both in a way because I think that was just a dashboard um, right in your, uh, you know, when you log in, you saw this dashboard that gave you some of the basic data from your Google Analytics account. Um, I think they're just, it was just a play for the million users that are using it um, and it worked and um, I use it on a few of my own sites and a few client sites and clients really liked it. So I hope they don't change it too much because it just done a basic job really and it did it quite well. Um, um, so I think they bought it just to kind of um, be able to upscale the minority of people that might want more functionality, which can be achieved with the other plugin. All right. I can see the panel were... Yes. Yeah. Well, it's I, I noticed a cartoon recently of, you know, what happens when you give in to all the feature requests. Right to you. There we go. There we are. Uh, on to the next one. Um, Google now. Oh, um, oh, yeah. Google. Now, oh, here's Adam. Adam, would you would you like to quickly? Just in time, Adam. Just in time. I oh, okay. Am I hot today? Yes, you, you're, you're hot. We're, we're just about you're, to discuss the Google story. Yes, you're always hot. Uh, Rob, there we go. Uh, Rob, so Google now says controversial AI voice calling system will identify itself to humans. Well, that's nice. That's really, uh, really look forward to it. I am, I'm your controlling spirit. Well, that actually, <laughs> that actually goes along with the um, news earlier this week from the Google I.O. conference. I don't know if you guys listened to that. So you didn't. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let me back this thing up. So on Monday, the Google IO conference started and that's the annual conference where Google goes and shows you all the stuff that they are going to release this year, or they want to get investors all excited about what's they're working on with, you know, two, three, five years in the future that will come out. So they demoed this thing and it was essentially Google Assistant, you tell your Google Assistant, oh, I want a, a haircut at this time. And then the Google Assistant calls a hair salon and has a totally indistinguishable from a human being robot interaction with the place that gets called. So the person, the human at the business answers the phone and Google Assistant, you can't even tell that it's a robot. It appears so human, even to the extent of those, what's the word for it? You know, we, we make sighs and we, 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 we say things along with our natural conversation. So the big controversy out of that wasn't as much, wow, this is neat. It was more like, this is scaring the living daylights out of me. This is Terminator 2, you know. I don't know, and, what, I don't know what drugs they're taking in Google headquarters, but I want some of it. That's all I've got to say. Whatever, whatever drugs they're taking, I've got to the age I need them now. 
I, I, I mean, don't know what crack they'd take. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure it was quite as, as, as scary as the study that found that you could send basically subliminal messages to uh, uh, voice assistants like Alexa and, you know, by, by putting them in at, at frequencies humans can't hear. But, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt, Dada, but I just want to get some insight from you uh, and maybe Chris and the, uh, all the panel. Um, I was reading something else about millennials, and they were saying that millennials in general don't want to talk to people. They want to text, and they want to avoid a kind of face-to-face conference com- conversation as much as possible. Um, do you think that's true? Do you think that that you know, there's a lot of millennials working for Google? Do you, do you think that this is why they've gone down this path in a way? I don't know. Maybe I'm telling you, but what do you reckon, Adam? Well, the the controversy with the article that I gave you was uh, people at first thought this was cool, and then they started getting freaked out by this. That this there's some violation of some moral principle by not letting the person know that they're talking to a robot. Well, are you surprised? It's coming from Google. Well, it, it, well, exactly. So <laughs> Google had to finally bow under the pressure. But when you read that article, you know, they talk about like the lack of morals. Like what, why didn't someone say in the process of this is cool, like, hey, this is actually a little too much to have robots being smart enough to come across as human beings. It's a very terrifying thing when you, when you think about it. Um, uh, but it's true. I don't think it's just millennials that don't want to talk to people. I'm, I'm no millennial millennial. I think I'm a generation a generation X. I'm 40 something. I'm talking to people. I rather text message, but I, I don't want a robot calling me. I, I, I'd rather I, I'd rather email and and you know I'm 50. I'm just crotchety, right? You know the phone rings and I think go away. Um, but uh, you know I I don't think that it's actually a lack of morals. I think it's very precisely what Morton talked to us before about a lack of ethics. That is a lack of established criteria for deciding whether something is a good idea to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's a, it's a vacuum and a slight vacuum in the heart of Google headquarters (laughs) at the heart, the beak, the beating heart of Google. Is there any heart? I don't know. Uh, um, But, Although I will say that there was some really neat thing. There were were some really practical applications for the technology. So the the example that they gave was when a business, it's the holidays, right? And businesses get inundated with calls asking them for their holiday hours. So they will use this technology to call these places, ask them their holiday hours, and dynamically update their listing on Google so people don't have to make those phone calls. So there are some interesting applications but it was more the the ethics of not disclosing a robot not disclosing it's a robot it's kind of like i will i love the terminator movies but wasn't it wasn't the terminator movies it was like robocop we're going back to the 80s guys uh robocop it was a robot police officer and it's one rule was that it can't like what wasn't it? it can't kill like people that are other police officers or something like that. So, I mean, there has to be these like foundational laws and principles that are in place because this is some advanced stuff that's coming out. It was how 
it was unrealistic that film really you know you really sh- no, i'm not gonna that, actually i'm gonna shut up i was gonna go down a road <laughs> that was <laughs> I'm jonathan keep off that all right chris what, what did you um i've just censored myself which is very unusual listeners um chris um what did you think of this article and this whole thing i think it was it was really exceptional and these it just it brings to light that we're living in interesting times and artificial intelligence. There's something called the Turing test where uh, people are, cannot tell the difference between the robot and the, the AI and the, the human. So I guess that just happened, not in the movies, but in real life. Um, it's also, I just, been I just a, wonder how good these yeah. systems really, really are. What, say that again. I just wondered how good these systems I had somebody, I had some woman trying to flog me um, timeshare, and I just, uh, this is artificial intelligence. So, and I let it go, and I started asking it ridiculous questions, and uh, um, it, it failed in the end. But I was kind of taken aback that in the end it was obviously it was an artificial, um, it wasn't a real person. So I mean, this this technology has been around for a while in simpler forms, like with email. Like there, I forget what the tool was called, where you could send it off to schedule emails with people, and it would have conversations and find a mutual agreeable time because it had access to your calendar. This is just creepy, weird, with like the ums and the odds, and being able to deal with like, you know, there there was another example in the video where. They're trying to make a reservation at a Chinese restaurant and the language barrier was a little bit there and they didn't take reservations for the party that small and all those things. And the AI was still able to figure everything out. But um, yeah, I I think there is definitely ethical implications um, and people need to know when they're dealing with that. For example, with us at Lifter LMS, I started experimenting with chatbots. When I first got it, I'm one of those t- types of people, when I learn something, I just like to get my hands in it and start using it right away. So I was like, I put it in there, I slapped my face on the, uh, the, the robot, or on the bot. I didn't think anything of it. I said, upload picture here. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll put my face there. And then set up some bots and stuff. And then uh, people started getting really upset when they found out that, oh, this is a, ro- a robot. This isn't live chat. So then later I had to come back and I, we'd like designed a little robot image just to make it clear. So it's just an example of. Well, yeah. Any, anytime I yeah. see a chat system, I, I have to wonder, is there a human there or do they wait until you, you get to a certain level of complexity before they bring a human? Yeah, in? but That's the point I'm making, Sally. I think the bit, I was, I just wanted if the millennials, they don't want a human. They would prefer it was a bolt or something. <laughs> Well, I think there are situations in which you're perfectly happy to be getting your information from a robot, but but it also is useful to know. I mean, it's, you know, well, I have a question that I want answered. Maybe I, I don't want to have to spend extra time on, uh, you know, making polite conversation. Um, it, it, you know, maybe it's uh, useful if there are bots at a certain level of, of, of support and, you know, hapless human volunteers uh, don't have to listen to people bitching about, you know, uh, how something you're providing them for free uh, isn't working exactly the way they want it to. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it is kind of, it is good to be able to tell, you know, I mean, it is good to, to be able to have some level of, of transparency and disclosure because, yeah, people don't like to think they've been tricked. 
it it really upsets people, and it, I don't blame them for that. Oh, I'm so tempted to go somewhere else now. I'm just, no, don't do it, Jonathan. Uh, Rob, I'm really, uh, Rob, right. Uh, but it is really interesting. Thanks for this story, Adam, because actually I think you, it's actually be, not the ability. It's got so good. I think it, it, I got the impression from the article, if it, if it was a bit cranky in the way it worked, it would be more acceptable. The, the kind of really... If it was in the UK, maybe. <laughs> but um like we like, know a robocall when we hear a robocall that's right yeah it's just it kind of freaked people out because it, it was so good wasn't it i think you know um yeah it's, 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 what do you reckon john before we wrap this particular story up are you intimidated by these sweet voices from the internet I already, I already get calls like that, but, uh, my take on it is, uh, a lot of people are already implementing chat bots. A lot of people are using tools like that already. And, uh, you know, AI is inevitable. We're seeing all kinds of advances in that it's, it's here, it's advancing. Uh, but one thing that I would point out businesses that, uh, still have some degree of the human touch mm. in their businesses are going to stand out uh, as this goes forward. And, and as a lot of people kind of embrace more automation uh, or AI or things of that nature, I think if you can provide a human touch, you're going to stand out from the crowd. That's my take. Yeah. There were some, some interesting bits in one of Carrie Dill's recent um episodes she's been talking about automation this this season and that that somebody was saying you know you're 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 tempted when you first get into it to like automate all the things and that they realized eventually there were certain things it was better not to automate and and other things that 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 you should uh and hey so yeah i think that the the real point is you know think about how you're using it and whether your own users, uh, customers, prospective customers are uh, going to respond, you know, going to feel like this is a, a good thing or a, or a bad thing. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And thanks for uh, reminding me about Carrie because she did say she would come on the show this month on the round table. So I'll try and get her on this month. That'll blow her away, won't it? I, I don't know. Well, she can handle herself, can't she? So there we go. I, I don't think Carrie would be intimidated by any of us, no. Nah, nah, no, not at all. That's the Texan queen of Genesis. There we go. Uh, um, so, oh, oh, sorry, folks. Um, on to the next story. Uh, um, how to create a case study for your UX product design portfolio. Would you like to start off, Sally, with this one? Uh, sure. I, I came across this, um, you know, in one of my many uh, design-type emails and, uh, you know, had, had marked it for myself. I'm thinking of, of submitting a WordCamp talk that's similar in some ways, and I've been thinking about redoing my own portfolio more along this line is that, you know, part of it is just the idea is you want to do more than show pictures. Uh, uh, even if what you do is very uh, is very visual, and 
so it's, you know, here's this nice pull quote, you know, case studies take time and it's, it's tough to, to, to tell a story that, you know, more people don't do them in part because they're hard. You know, it's, it's not necessarily hard to put up a bunch of, of screenshots of a site you've built, uh, but that doesn't really do anything to explain to your uh, prospective customer just what problem you were solving. Uh, and you know how it works in practice, and and what's important, and so they they walk through in a, in a fair amount of detail um, how to uh, structure a, a a case study so that it's um, both you know possible for you to create it and possible for the uh, you know for for your prospect to understand it and and pick up pretty early. Yeah. Um, So, you know, that you want a kind of an executive summary, you want an objective, uh, you want a, you know, what did you do? Uh, You want to, you know, highlight the the important bits. I mean, they're they're talking kind of specifically about UX and and UI designers. Uh, You know, you want to include some some metrics about, you know, well, well, how did how did what you did move the needle? and you know that depends partly on what your you know what your project goals were. Uh, you know, include some uh, <clears throat> testimonials. You know, and conclude with a, a call to action, which is something that's missing from a lot of parts of uh, the websites of you know designers, developers, et, et, et cetera. Uh, you know, wrap up with that. You know, do you need help with X? Talk to me. Um, yes, talk to that artificial voice. Well, what do you reckon, Adam? Because I I think. Um, case studies are really very, very important, but they've got to be done in the right way, not I not be warm peace. They've got to be get to the point rapidly. What do you well, reckon? I think that uh, people that are in a situation where a case study will help them, and this is let's, let's just for an example, let's talk to actually anyone that has a product or a service. A, a case study is really a sales tool and should be viewed as a sales tool. And so most people don't understand that people open up their pocketbook, they hire someone to do something, they purchase something to do one thing, and primarily one thing only is to solve a problem. And so if you frame a case study in sharing how this person had this problem, but you're you're intentionally doing it so that the person reading it can see themselves in a similar situation of having the similar problem. And then you're leading them along how the path, you're leading them along the path on how you are the person or the business or the company that can solve this very same problem that they're having as well. That's the goal of a case study. It's not just to say, you know, we did this, they needed this and this and this, you know, I I've said, I actually had a video recently where I was saying, you know, if you want to charge more money, this isn't an original idea concept, by the way, let me just disclaimer there. Uh, If you want to charge more money for the work you do, you have to do a better job of finding out the problem that the person actually has. So in the framework of a website, for example, someone doesn't just want a website. They have some problem that they think a website's going to solve for them. So once you start finding out what these problems are that they have, now you can start 
selling them the solution versus just selling a website and everyone else is selling a website. You're selling a solution. And that's what these case studies really need to be doing. I think it's very wise if you're a website developer, if you're an SEO consultant or any kind of person, you should be putting together case studies with the intention of this is my sales tool where someone's going to read this. They're going to know the problems I solve afterwards, the process that I follow and the results that I can get them. And then they're pre-sold. Dude, what do you reckon, John? So uh, there's a couple, there's two things I want to point out. And uh, the first thing that I want to point out is if you're looking for a case of how to use content to sell your product, look at this article. Because Cloud App is basically a uh, screen capture tool and they're using a um, they're using their own case study here, basically, of, of selling this to agencies and, uh, you know, UX places of, of how to build a case study. Uh, so I want to agree with everything that Adam and Sally said uh, about this. What I see in probably 90% of um, portfolios is a couple screenshots uh, or the Photoshop mock-ups of, of what people did and just the name of the client, but there's like no explanation of why they hired you, why they had their site or app redone, and no, you know, no follow-up. What were the results after you did this? There's like absolutely no explanation of everything. And I, I really think it, if you can break those things down and actually tell a story in your case studies, that won't necessarily, you know, be the thing that, that gets people in the door. But like if they're deciding between you and somebody else, that's definitely going to, you know, tip the scales in your favor. Uh, and a couple of examples that I want to give of, of case studies that are done right. I don't think this one's online anymore, but when Tian and Lax, the agency, uh, was around, they had some phenomenal case studies that went into great detail and, and told stories but a couple that are, are really good now is uh, if you look at the, the agency Hello Monday, they're a pretty well-known agency. They have some good case studies. Um, and another one uh, that's here locally, uh, a digital agency here that's called Buckwild. Uh, check out their case studies. And yours doesn't necessarily need to be that in detail, but I would say at least outline the problem that you were hired to solve then you can throw in like your screenshots and then the outcome of, of what happened. Those are the things that, that any good case study should have. Yeah, I kind of, before I ask Chris, I kind of go for the short one, but I think it's best to have the option in the design, have the main points like what Adam says and then have the ability to either open up a, a larger version or be taken to another page, whatever way you want to organize it. It also really, really depends on who your customer is. Yes. If you're selling to engineers, they want war and peace, but they want war and peace full of like technical specs. Yeah, it's true. Right? Which is but, typically like a white paper, right? You know what I mean? They don't, well, it's not a case study anymore. Now it's a white paper. Well, it's <laughs> Look at those white papers. White papers are, are aimed to be a little more generalized, actually. And it's, oh. it's, it's, it's almost more of like, you know, you need to include the product spec sheet in, in addition to the, 
the, the summaries, but I've seen quite good case studies. I, mean, I have a client whose site just soft launched uh, yesterday because their original site went down abruptly. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, her case studies are like a couple of paragraphs, but this woman does measurement for a living. And so it's very clear about, you know, here's what they, you know, here's what the problem was. Uh, here's what the solution was. Here is what they got as a result of 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 doing this. And you know, if if you can encapsulate stuff into into that brief a, a summary, uh, that's pretty useful. And uh, you know, then you can say, all right, you know, what what is good to elaborate on? You know, if 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 you do a visual kind of thing, pictures are are going to be uh, of some kind are going to 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 be helpful. Um, but yeah, is that you know? Can can you talk? Can you address the outcomes? Uh, and if if you can do that, uh, you know, and and provide uh, you know at least a little evidence uh, of uh, to to back up what you're saying, uh, you've gotten a long way. That's great. So, Chris, um, how important do you think case studies for your own products are, and how? On reflection, how good a job do you think you've done with Lifter LMS when it comes to case studies? Uh, we have not done a great job with them. It's actually one of the th- projects. Case studies is something that somebody is working on at, at Lifter right now. Um, but we do. We have always gotten a lot of testimonials, and I think a lot of people get confused between the difference between a testimonial and a case study. And the way I like to explain the difference and is you want testimonials where people don't just say nice things about the people or the product. You want them to kind of touch on case study elements, like the facts and the results they got. But um, a case study is more of like a news report. It's like facts. Like this was the problem. This is what happened. This is how it was solved. This is the process. So it's different. Whereas testimonials often have a lot more opinion woven in with the facts. And I would just add that it's really important just to get inside the mind of the prospect because what they're really asking, they're not saying, hey, can I see a case study? The, the internal dialogue they're having is, will it work for me? Is this for people like me or, or companies like mine? And what are the actual results that real people have gotten regardless of what the marketing here is promising? Um, so that's just all I'd add. The panel had a lot of great points, but um, it's one of the areas we're looking to improve. We have testimonials, but we really haven't done the time to really flesh out some case studies and it's it's best um it's probably best not to do them unless you you can actually do some good ones isn't it yeah because you know yeah i totally agree we're going to go for our break folks we've got some other great stories we will we will be discussing when we come back we're going for our break folks do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. We discuss Google 
AI, whether they're who it's called, their sweet voices. We've dis- had a great discussion about case studies. I thought I thought that was fantastic. On to another story. Uh, um, always more stories. Our um, struggle to learn React. Yes, yes. Um, our, um, oh, Adam's just shaking his head. What do you? What? What? Why is this, Adam? Do you think it's a crap story or what? No, not at all. I'm sure it's a fantastic story by a fantastic writer. It's more like, don't call on me. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you, you mean you delving into the world of React? <laughs> My brand is WordPress for non-techies, which could also be uh, assumed non-coders, non-interest in coders and coding. <laughs> Not coders, they're great, but the coding, what they do, no interest. Well, actually, I joined a course and I've been learning a little bit just for the hell of it. And I'm not a coder anymore. I'm just a marketer. Uh, um but I, I've been just for the hell of it. My God, it's, it's kind of boom. Uh, what do you reckon, Sally? Yes. Well, um, to, uh, someone I know, uh, you know, passed on, on on Twitter. You know, if, if you could be instantly fluent in in you know in one language, what would it be? And and they they actually meant human languages. But my response was JavaScript, uh, because uh, you know my my regular JavaScript is crap. Ne- never mind uh, something like React. However. Um, and, you know, Brad Frost, the author of this, this article, is a very well-known person in the HTML and, and CSS world. Well, he's like uh, dummy, that's for sure. Uh, no, he's not, you know, he, and uh, he found this, uh, uh, you know, quite uh, intimidating and I think it's been an issue for a lot of people because, you know, I mean, it's it's an issue people are thinking about because, um, Gutenberg is built on React, uh, and you know what I have heard. Uh, fortunately for me, uh, from a few people who started experimenting with this, is you know you don't actually have to master all of React or even use all of these. You know, here's the webpack, and here's the npm, and here's the blah blah blah, and here's the blah 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 blah, in order to like build a custom block for Gutenberg. You really don't. Um, you know, here are some examples, and in, in fact, you know, somebody on the uh, in the Genesis Slack group just posted this morning, you know, a, a link to the GitHub he has for a, a handful of, you know, custom Gutenberg blocks he built without doing any of this stuff, uh, so that you don't have to learn all of this before you get into the hands-on part of actually being able to use it. And and for me, although, you know, I wish I had spent, you know, more time actually, you know, learning how PHP works sooner because it would have saved me a, a, a lot of time. I tend to not learn things unless I have a real life practical example of something that I have to do with it. And and then, you know, I may not learn all of it. I may be starting out with, you know, we've got a little something to copy, paste, and, and you know, do some trial and error with. Uh, but without that focus, uh, it's very difficult for me to, to learn things. And I'm sure I am not the only person in that position. No. So, it, you know, it's important to know that you don't actually have to master uh, React in, in order to you know, be able to to keep working on on WordPress once Gutenberg is is here. 
I think that's a great point. You know, it's kind of was going back. It was going back in time because when I first got into the internet, I was a a flash action script developer, and uh, I remember I got a JavaScript and also delved in JavaScript. I got one of those rocks read books that was like 80, 800 pages plus and trying to um, explore uh, and uh, um, other browsers that had totally different DOMs and trying to get something to work. It was fascinating. Uh, probably, I, I aged considerably quickly. What do you reckon, John? Uh, isn't Wix built on React too? Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think so. Yeah. I don't know, man. Are you, are, you, are you making a statement there, actually, John? Maybe I am. <laughs> Divi as well. <laughs> oh, Divi's made to react, is it? The front end uh, part of it, correct. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know Facebook leans on it heavily, too. Uh, you know... Um, I, I'm with Brad Frost. I mean, I, I can write jQuery. I can write CSS like a madman. I can template in, in WordPress style PHP. But uh, yeah, like hardcore JavaScript, I'm not that guy. And I don't know that I'm, I, I think I'm with Sally. I don't know that I'm, I don't know that that's where I, I want to spend my time. So. No, that's because I think, it was all the dependencies. I've been doing this course and it's all the dependencies and additional technologies that, um, you know, it's pretty, a full stack developer in the PH, in the WordPress has enough external um, technologies in their stack grunts, you know, all these names. Just love them, don't you? Uh, um, where Grunt, from, gulp, belch. Oh, good gulp, gulp, whatever the hell, all these. But I tell you, when you go into the React world, you, you talk about a list of different dependencies and technologies. Why, Godfathers, it's endless almost. Uh, um, it, you know, you, you can develop your own server technology to run the freaking thing. Uh, um, right. Uh, what do you reckon, Chris? How, you know, how's your team, um, you know, your developers, how they, the new world of React and WordPress, how are they reacting to it, Chris? I have no idea. That's why I have a. <laughs> that's why I have a business partner. I'm. Uh, I focus on helping people grow their businesses and figuring out what problems we're going to solve and how we're going to solve them, and uh, helping get the word out. But uh, I have a technical business partner. Yeah. With Thomas and I try, and he's always exploring the tools. But at the end of the day, like I don't. Me personally, I don't necessarily care how it's made, or what tools do the job. It's just that we're working on the problems but it's just not my it's not my area of expertise because you because you the thought of a dial state because you've got your course builder interface haven't you which um you know is drag drag you can drag around so I'd, i would imagine that you might be utilizing a bit of react there from my side all i'm trying to do is make it possible for people to build an entire course from one screen i don't know the tools or the technology behind it <laughs> There we go. Let's go on to the next one, because Chris, Chris and Adam are going to nod off in a second. Uh, right. <laughs> but I thought it was well, uh, uh, right. Customers don't want content. They want a better path. From old Chris Brogan. And he's agreed initially to come on my podcast for a little chat. But he's... Uh, wherever did he see? 
yeah, he only wants to come on for a certain amount of time, and uh, I like to wonder. So that's probably why he's put. He's probably listened to some of my shows. I thought I'm going to keep this guy under control. Uh, um, so, Sally, what did you think of this one? Well, I mean, you know, Chris Bergen writes smart, uh, interesting stuff about pretty much uh, everything. But, uh, you know, it is kind of like back to the idea of, you know, people don't want websites. They want solutions to, yeah. to problems. And that's kind of it. Again, you know, the, it, 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 it's not that they want specifically, uh, you know, uh, content. Uh, it's that they you know the the, the company uh, if if a company is hiring you to produce content you know they have a reason that they want content it's not just because like oh we want to put a bunch of stuff on our our, our blog you know and if your company's it, customers don't want you know content they don't want a bunch of random uh, stuff they want uh, to know specific kinds of uh, of things so that if you are for uh, example, you know, Home Depot, and you start producing videos about how to use tools to, to uh, you know, the tools that, that they sell uh, to build stuff in your home. Well, that's why people buy tools is because they there's a, a, something that they want to build or something they want to fix. or And so, you know, that's useful. Uh, but if, if you're not provi providing something that's actually useful, um, then... Uh, it's not going to do any good, and so you could you could spend a, a bunch of money creating uh, <clears throat> something that that doesn't actually do you any good. And so you know, in, in a way, we're kind of coming back to the you know the chatbots and and the AI. There are things that you know those can help you do that are going to be really useful and helpful to your customers. Uh, it, it's not that these things are inherently evil. Uh, it, it's just that. It can be helpful to, you know, it, it can be a good idea to let people know when they are using them. You know, sign up for our, you know, the, hey, the, our chatbot that tells you, you know, X and Y that you need to know every day to run your business. Fine. You know, same way we sign up for automated newsletters that aggregate stuff, you know. Um, but it is it just, you know, again, how is this going to help my, you know, how is this going to help my customers or my prospective customers uh, to do what they need to do to make money if, if they're seeking to make money, you know, to, to achieve their mission? And uh, if, it's, if it's not helping them, uh, don't do it. Yeah, I think um, before I throw it over to the other panelists, um, I read the article and I do read periodically Chris's stuff because I find it well written and it's thought provoking. Um, I think there was like three areas for me where he kind of it kind of refocused some of my thoughts. Um, it's about it's got to be useful. An example, and I'm not I'm not just picking on this. Um, it's Starbucks. Uh, um, Starbucks is a pretty um, intense company, and they normally know what they're doing, and they've been highly successful. When it comes to their online, you know, when you log in to um, you go to your Starbucks and you utilizing their Google um, internet and you have that splash screen. I always felt that they've never been able to really give extra value and that a lot of their online stuff is pretty feeble. Um, 
<clears throat> it's always interested me how they can be so effective um, in making profit in the actual stores. Yet when it comes to online, they're, in my estimation, they're a bit feeble, but you could say I'm totally wrong there. Um, the other area is I've been trying to produce a lot more content for the WP Tonic site. And I've been looking at um, a lot of the other competitors in the sector that I want to rank for and been doing keyword SEO research, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not sure if I've become a little bit defocused because I'm more, I've concentrated more on the process rather than who really is my audience and how can I really, really help them. Um so you kind of get engrossed in the SEO research and, you know, can you compete for this particular phrase? And, and then you get the article, you either you write it yourself or you don't. But you can be easy to become defocused. What, what do you reckon, Adam? Am I waffling or is there any decency in some of what I've been saying? No, you're certainly waffling. Uh, no, absolutely. Think, I, 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 I get <laughs> something. I'm a, yeah, but see, you're, you're, you're British. You can handle my, my criticisms. Yeah. Um, uh, I've had a lot worse to me, actually, Adam. <laughs> my takeaway from the concept in this article is that, um, and I've actually followed this philosophy my entire life, is never to uh, get married to an idea, a path, a technology, or anything. Anything. Don't get so married to something that you can't step back analytically look at this and say, is this getting me or my purpose or, or in this framework, my customers forward? If it's not, ax it. Don't get so married to a concept or an idea. And I actually see this happen so much. And it's actually a very sad thing when you see it, when people are so much in love with an idea that serves no purpose, you know what I mean? And they won't just cut it out, you know? So it has to deal with being extremely, extremely disciplined. For me, I'm a very, is the correct word pragmatic, where you're able to look at it and you have no marriage to the idea at all and you just cut it out. Now, that being said, I'm super committed to my real marriage. Been married for almost like 16 years now. <laughs> That's not where I'm pragmatic. It's just with these types of concepts, you know, getting married to an idea that uh, you should have abandoned a long time ago. I think it's fantastic because you you've got a totally different <clears throat> um, insight. You got a totally different message from it, um, and much more precise than my waffling. What do you reckon, Chris? Uh, I think some of the genesis of the article has to do with the obsession of, with the concept of content marketing. Some people just take it way too far. I was listening to something the other day and they were talking about how a lot of Facebook groups have like these, um, these images that pop up like motivational Monday and it pops up every Monday and there's no comments on it. It's not working. And they continue to have this content coming out every Monday and then Tuesday has something and then Wednesday. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just a gut check about what is the value of the content and don't forget about the other parts of the business too. Yeah, what do you reckon, John? You know, I thought Adam's bit was really good, but I don't know if there was anything. I just got a different kind of message from it a little bit. Well, you made me think a little bit. I'll just say it really succinctly. People don't wake up in the morning saying, gee, I want to consume some content today. <laughs> no, that's, that's, <laughs> that, you got it in one, haven't you? 
Yeah. So I mean, it, there is no shortage of content. Yeah. I mean, if you want, if you want to sell something, whether it's a service, a product, or whatever, a SaaS, whatever, you gotta figure out, you know, who you're trying, who are you trying to reach, and what's the better version of themselves that they're trying to get to. How can you help them do that? His example is in the uh, airport, just using. Uh, technology to update where the parking spots are that saves people time in you know in the airport they don't want to you know drive around looking for parking they want to get to their destination that's the better version of themselves so when you think about what you're creating on your site that that people might click on what's that better version of themselves and how are you going to get them there with what you're putting on your website I think that's great. I think we've had a great, I'm going to wrap it up now. I think we've okay. had a great conversation, kept it moving apart from my waffle, but I haven't ranted this week. So I think that's, that's better behavior, isn't it? Um, Adam, how can people find out more about what you're up to? Sure. Uh, well, uh, I joined a little late. My name is Adam from WPCrafter.com. So you can just jump over to the website, but I primarily have a YouTube channel with lots of great videos. Uh, youtube.com slash WP crafter. That's great. And Chris, how can people find out more about you and what you, what your team are up to? You can find us over at lifterlms.com. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS cast. That's great. And Sally, how can people find out what you're up to? You can find me at wpfangirl.com where I have not yet uh, revised my portfolio to a, a, <clears throat> a case study uh, format, but that's on my 2018 to-do list uh, and you can find the meetup at eastbaywp.com and I am at Sally Getch on Twitter. If you can spell my name, you will find me. I am unique in Google. Great. And John, how can people find more about what you are doing and up to basically? You can find me at uh, my website, which is lockdowndesign.com uh, or you can find me on my YouTube channel. We're publishing at least once a week. We don't have as many views or subscribers as Adam here with like three point, uh, what is it? 3.6 million views, 54,000 subscribers. Yeah, about, yeah, about 3.6 yeah, million views. Yeah, just a little bit. But anyway, but we're trying to grind it out. Right, You're getting go. there. <laughs> How do people get a hold of you, Jonathan? Oh, thank you, John. Um, to go to the WP Tonic website, leave comments, um, contact me through Twitter. There's loads of ways. Facebook, there's loads of ways. But the, the main thing, if you really want to support the show, there's two things that you can do that would really help the show. One is leaving a review on um, um, iTunes. That really does help me get better um people for the wednesday show better interviews offers better value for you whatever you want to say you want to give us one star or five star and um, whatever you want to say it really does help the show the second thing is um twittering out to our sponsors and saying that you're you look you found the product on the podcast and that really helps and it helps our sponsors as well so they're the two main ways you can help the show and any kind of comments or help you can give to the show is much appreciated uh, you know it really does show that you care about the show we'll be back next week with a great panel and hopefully i will choose some deep well the panel's been providing better stories than me which is really fantastic um, we'll see you next week folks bye, bye. 
Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.